that might have caught you off guard just a little bit that we started with uh, a reading from Matthew's gospel, but it will fit in uh, later in the message. And in fact, that's where we'll make our greatest uh, contribution today, studying the Word of God. It's good to see each of you here. It looks like we're missing a few folks, and I, uh, one of the reasons for that <clears throat> is uh, sickness. How many of you in the last couple months have faced sickness? Raise a hand. Look at this. It's amazing. And we do have some folks that are out because of that, but we also have people who are preparing to uh, return to school, families, and so this is the last chance to get away the last couple weeks uh, uh, before school starts. Can you believe we are in July and school is just around the corner? Uh, whatever happened to starting up sometime around Labor Day? That's long gone, isn't it? Well, uh, today <clears throat> also uh, is, a, is just a day to, to rejoice over the wedding la that we experienced yesterday uh, between Ryan Frazier and Natalie Walker. So both uh, Pastor Sherry, who works with our children, and Ryan, I'm sorry, and, and uh, Scott and Deb, who work with uh, our worship ministry and are connected in Deb doing the communications of our church, all of them... Uh, shared together yesterday watching their children be married. Our first couple that met at VBF and were married. So isn't that wonderful? So <clears throat> for our church, for our church, that's a milestone. And uh, I look out and I see some young people here. You just never know who the Lord might introduce you to at church. <clears throat> Let me uh, reiterate also that this Tuesday evening is the, or afternoon, uh, is going to be the uh, service for Case Staples, the celebration of life. I hope you can participate and that you can be there, and uh, it will be a wonderful celebration of her life. She was a special lady and uh, a member of Vero Bible Fellowship, so just a reminder of that. <clears throat> if you have your Bible open... To Matthew, that's fine, but we need to turn to uh, the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 18. We're going to continue in the verse-by-verse -verse study that we've been in for quite some time, <clears throat> and I'm excited about this message today, very excited, because <clears throat> I think it's going to give us the opportunity to, to really clarify some positions that Christians must hold to. You know, there are some things that we can believe as Christians and we can believe differently. How you believe about eschatology, the end, how Jesus is, we should all believe that Jesus is returning, amen? But how he's returning, that depends, you know, there's so many views and each of those views are based from the word of God. They, inter they interpret the word and they get a different outcome. Some things it doesn't matter. There are other things that are very important that we have to be on the same page with, and that's what we're going to cover today. Now, as we pick up in chapter 18, Paul uh, came to Corinth after being beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, after being run out of Thessalonica, after being snuck out of Berea, and scoffed at in Athens, where he no doubt... Uh, uh, didn't have the results that he had had in other places. Interestingly, uh, by the time he comes to Corinth, Paul is weary. He's tired. He's physically tired, he is mentally, and he is emotionally depleted. 
and to some degree. You say, well, how do you know that? It doesn't say that in Acts chapter uh, 18. No, but it does record that in 1 Corinthians, where Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians. And he actually said, if you remember when I came to you, which is what we're studying today when he came there, he said, I came to you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. So his experience of the journey that he had on this second missionary journey had taken a toll. And Athens was probably a low point too in some respect. In other respects, people were saved in Athens. Don't get the idea that it was a failure. It was not a failure. It just wasn't the results that he knew or he felt that he would get. And so he comes to Corinth, and he's weak. But let me share with you that in our weakness, that is when God is strong. Amen? You know, uh, I, I know I can testify to that as a pastor, and if you've ever preached or you've ever taught a Bible study, ever led a Sunday school class, there are days where you're just weary and you've tried hard in your study and your preparation and you're just weary, you're tired, you're weak and you're not ready, you don't feel ready, I don't feel like I'm ready to go to the pulpit. And yet in those times, his strength shows up. In fact, I got a feeling that if we'll stay in that place of weakness, that we'd see God move more in our church, all of us, not just the preacher. If we live in such a way, what does it say in the Beatitudes? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in, remain in an attitude of reminder, I'm a sinner that God saved. If he hadn't saved me, See, that's a poor in spirit. I never get haughty with my spirituality. I never think I'm above somebody else better than anybody. God saved me. And you keep your feet on the ground and you remain humble and God begins to move in your life and use you. Well, this is where Paul is. He's going to have those experiences because he's weak. But it says in verse 5, we'll pick up at verse 5 where we left off last week. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia... Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So Paul receives this great encouragement. God has a way of reaching you when you're weary. If you become weary in well-doing, and you can, the scripture says don't let that happen. In other words, don't hold off on refueling yourself in the Word of God, in the fellowship of believers for a long time, because you'll become weary in well-doing, and you can lose hope. And Paul, while he's down, God sends to him two of his wonderful young men, Silas and Timothy. They show up, and immediately Paul begins devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. This is how God works, church. When you're hanging in there, trying with all of your heart to be faithful to the word, trying to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, trying to be a positive influence, salt and light in the world, this is how God works. You grow weary and God brings encouragement, different ways that God brings encouragement. So Paul began devoting himself completely to the word. Now, let's explain that. According to to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Write it down if you're a Bible student. 2 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9. 
2 Corinthians 11, 8, and 9. While Paul was in Corinth, I'll let you do the homework and look it up later. While Paul was in Corinth, financial support arrived from the Christians in Philippi. We read earlier in this chapter that when Paul arrived in Corinth, he met up with Aquila and Priscilla, these, this Christian couple who had been dispersed from Rome because the emperor said, I want all Jews out of Rome, including Jewish Christians. And so they ended up in Corinth. Paul shows up. They're tent makers. Paul's a tent maker. And they hook up. They become friends. They start working together, sharing Christ together. That's another encouragement when Paul was low that God had sent to him. But it says that while he was there making tents, that resource came to him. It's not recorded in Acts 18. It's recorded in 2 Corinthians. That the resources came to him, financial support from Christians in Philippi. And he was able to set aside the ministry of tent making and fully give himself to the word of God. That's what that passage is driving home. He began devoting himself completely to the word. Then Timothy shows up. And Timothy comes with an encouraging word. Where, where from? From where Paul sent him, to the church in Thessalonica. Paul left Thessalonica, run out of town, went to Philippi. But Timothy was sent back to Thessalonica to try to strengthen the Christians that had believed. And he comes with this incredible report how the Christians were remaining steadfast in their faith. So already Paul meets new friends in Aquila and Priscilla. God provides Timothy and Silas. Uh, God, God strengthens Paul by the word of God, and Paul is now preaching again very strongly. There's a shift in Paul's attitude, in his, in his outlook, because of the encouragement of God. And Timothy brings this good word, and that brought great joy to Paul. Now, verse 6, but when they resist, resisted and blasphemed. Now, who's he speaking of? Well, we re remember what we just read that he began to testify solemnly to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 6, but when the Jews resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garment and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titus Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Now, that is a powerful paragraph because in this, Paul has been preaching to the Jews a very strong message that Jesus is the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah. And the Jews as a whole in Corinth rejected the message and they blasphemed. And so Paul calls them out on it. And then at the same time, he meets this guy, Titus Justus, who's not a Jew. He's a, he's a, a Greek or a Gentile. And, he, and, and he, he's a worshiper of God. That means that while he cannot be a Jew, he cannot, be, uh, he cannot convert to Judaism, uh, at, in Jerusalem at the temple, you have the Holy of Holies where only the high priest can go once a year. Outside of that is the holy place where the priest would minister before the Lord. 
And then outside of that, you had courts, different courts. There was a court of the women. That's where the women stayed. There was an outer court called the court of the Gentiles. So if you were like Justice, you would go to Jerusalem for a big feast, but you could never go further than the court of the Gentile. You couldn't go any further. You couldn't offer an animal sacrifice for your sins. So it was someone who loved uh, the message of Judaism, but they were not a Jew. So they, they were outside. He lived next door to the synagogue. And Paul finds him and shares with him, and the guy gets saved. Then, this is really cool, Paul, the Crispus, this guy just evidently came up to him because Paul's no longer going into the synagogue. He's turned from the synagogue looking for the Gentiles. But that doesn't mean that he stopped reaching Jews. It just means that his focus of ministry was now to the Gentile. And this, this Jew, Crispus, who is the leader of the synagogue, he comes up to Paul, he hears the message of Jesus, and he believes, it says, and was baptized along with, with Titus Justice. Uh, this is a result, folks, and this is how it works in our lives. When someone comes to Jesus, it's because somebody else took the time to share the gospel. How many of you were saved by watching a television broadcast? Some preacher with a sermon sharing the gospel. How many got saved by television? Raise a hand. How, okay, one hand. How many of you got saved by radio, listening to some preacher on the radio, preaching the word of God, sharing the gospel, and you got saved by radio? Raise a hand. How many of you got saved by social media, by some, uh, you know, some sermon that you heard on social media of some type or some file? Raise a hand. How many of you got saved because somebody modeled, exampled Jesus and they shared, or somebody else shared Jesus with you personally? Raise a hand. Look around. And now the responsibility of sharing Jesus is on us. It's not about the radio broadcast. It's not about the, ra uh, the television. It's not about social media, Facebook, and every other Instagram and everything else. It's about you and I as real human beings walking in a lost world, seeing people for who they are, not as, not as enemies, but seeing them as lost and loving them enough to take time to stop and meet them and share Jesus with them. That's how people get saved. They get saved by hearing the word of God. This is so important, church. These folks didn't want that. They blasphemed. That caused Paul to shake out his garment in their presence. It caused him to say, your blood be on your heads. I am clean. For now I will go to the Gentiles. He didn't stop sharing the gospel because the Jews rejected. He just focused on the people who would want the message or who at least were open to hear the message. That's how you and I should live our lives every day. Somebody rejects, shake the dust off your feet. But there's others who haven't heard it yet. Did you know in America today, we live in a post 
Christian nation. This is not a Christian nation. It's a post-Christian nation. Meaning, many in this generation that are coming up have never heard the gospel. And if they have heard the name of Jesus, nine times out of ten, it's a skewed view of Jesus because they've not studied the Bible and they've not been around parents who study the Bible. They're not hanging out with people who study the Bible. That's why you and I are called to be salt. We're called to go into the world and to preserve it, to influence it. And you say, well, the world's so big and I'm so little, there's not much I can do. Have you ever forgotten to put salt in a stew? And it's bland, it just doesn't have any flavor to it, and you're like, oh, that's terrible. Oh, I forgot salt. And you take how much salt? A pinch. Big pot, a pinch. And that pinch influences the entire batch of stew. This is the picture that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. That's us. That's our calling, just like Paul. And he's being faithful to that calling. Now let's break down this text because this is powerful and this will carry us over to Matthew's gospel. If you were planning on getting out of here by one o'clock, for, forgive me, you ain't gonna have, it's not gonna happen. Okay. Um, visitors are going, is he serious? Is he serious? Let's break it down. Verse six, latter part of the verse, he shook out his garment, garments and said to them, your blood be on your heads, I am clean. So they were blaspheming the name of Jesus and his resurrection. This led Paul to hold his opponents completely responsible for blaspheming Christ, for rejecting the message of the gospel. This is how he held them accountable. He shook off the dust that had accumulated on his garment from being in their presence. That is an act of judgment. At this moment in time, you're not willing to listen to the gospel. I'm not going to waste any more time here. It doesn't mean no, never again should you go back to them. It doesn't mean that there's no hope for them, they're lost for eternity. That was not an eternal judgment. That was simply in the moment, they're not ready. Don't waste a lot of time on people who don't want to listen, don't want to hear it. You'll even have people say, stop it. Take that somewhere else. Don't preach at me. Okay, so you move on. But then you, you keep praying for them. They're not out of, just because they're out of sight doesn't mean they're out of mind. And not only pray for them, but you're looking for the Holy Spirit to present another opportunity at another time to come back to them. So it's not about quitting on people. It's about recognizing that you only have so much time in a day. Throw the seed where it's not been thrown rather than hitting the same area over and over and over when it's being rejected. Okay? Then he says, from now on I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul strongly sensed his responsibility to preach to the Jews, but when his message was rejected, he wasted no time in going 
to the Gentiles. Paul fulfilled the spirit. that He's fulfilling the spirit of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under, his, under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. So when people are determined to reject the gospel, we shouldn't keep trying with them until the door is open again. You, you, you go ahead and move on. When the door opens again, then come back. But not until then. Okay? So Paul shakes the dust of the, of the Jews off of his garments. Verse 7. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. So not only did Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, uh, come to Christ, but his family came to Christ as well. And many of the Corinthians, the Gentiles, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. So first, a general statement. Let me make this. Even though Paul has now turned to the Gentiles with the message of the gospel, that doesn't mean that he forbade the Jews from hearing the gospel or being saved. If a Jew came up, he would share the gospel wholeheartedly with them. He was just not going to focus on them. So, so this man named Crispus, a very important uh, man, he comes, he hears, and he believes, and now all of a sudden, his life is turned inside out, upside down. All in the course of believing in Jesus and being baptized, now all of a sudden, this guy no longer has a job at the synagogue immediately. See, we could read right past this. Oh, he believed. Wonderful. Awesome. Let's keep reading. No, no. Let's stop for a second. Let's look at the cost of following Jesus. Let's consider the price that we pay to receive the free gift of eternal life. This man, in a split second, lost his job. They no longer wanted him to lead in the temple. They no longer, his friends now completely changed. His Jewish friends who did not believe the message, who blasphemed Jesus, they are now no longer his friends, guaranteed. On top of that, you got a guy who doesn't know anybody. Now he's got to develop new friends. In, in a nutshell, if I could say it this way, this guy is now entering into a new life, totally new life. And isn't that what the Scripture teaches us? It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new in more ways than spiritual. In a physical sense, this guy is now possibly even having to move and relocate because the neighborhood he was in probably was Jewish. And every day he's seeing them ridicule and mock him. He probably had to move somewhere else, get closer to the believers. He's now meeting in some little side room. He used to be the leader of the synagogue. Now he's not welcomed into the synagogue. Now he's meeting over at some side street in some little canopy, some little tent with a bunch of Christians who are just worshiping God in private. 
Everything in his life changed. But that's what the scripture teaches. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. When you truly come to Jesus Christ, your life cannot go on the same way. It doesn't mean that all of your former friends no longer want anything to do with you. You can still keep friends, but you can't let those friends influence you. And that alone causes you to pull back some. Now all of a sudden, your your whole life is different. Everything changes. Paul said, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I can't go back. I can't keep doing it the old way. Now I'm changed. God is in me through Christ. I'm going to live for him. The life I now live is his life. It changes how you speak. It changes your message. It changes your friends. It changes possibly even your occupation. At the office, they might not want you there anymore because you're this happy Christian that wants to tell people about Jesus. And they despise that. That's what happened to this guy. He lost his job. Big stuff. Following Jesus will cost you. And Jesus said, if any man is not willing to pick up his cross and follow me, he is not worthy of me. Go back to your text. Let's look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision. So God's already encouraged Paul in several ways that we've covered Here's another encouragement from God. Why? Because Paul is mentally, emotionally, physically weary. And so God comes to him in the night, and look what he says. Do not be afraid any longer. So obviously Paul was in fear. He says, but go on speaking and do not be silent. That leads me to believe that when Crispus got saved, the leader of the synagogue, boy, he stirred the Jews up. They were really coming after him. And fear came over Paul. Why? Uh, he's been there before. He knows the outcome. When he, when, he, when he left one town, they literally beat him to death and dragged him outside the town. Well, not to death, but near death. He says, he said, look what God says to him. Talk about encouragement. Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you for I have many people in this city so obviously Paul was in fear and he was fearing that he might be physically attacked again it's a real fear and God said don't worry about it I've got this covered Paul what God's really saying to him is Paul this mission that you're on this second missionary this isn't your missions this isn't your journey This isn't your ministry. This is my ministry. Remember, you join me in my work. Therefore, know that I've got everything covered for you. Friends, some of you have not shared Christ with others and you're not discipling anyone. 
out of fear that you might mess up, that you might do it wrong. It's not your ministry. It's not hanging on you. It's hanging on God. You just join God in what he is doing. I believe in you. Every one of you. I believe you can disciple somebody. You can point them to Jesus. You can, you can go out and share Christ and see people saved. Every single believer in this room can do that. Why? Because it's not you. See, if you're thinking it's got to be you having some special ability, some per persuasive you know, communication gift and all this, you won't do it. It's not it. It's the Lord. This is his work that you're doing. Amen? Just think about it for a second. Paul had faced culture shock in Athens and in Corinth. He experienced immorality shock. I mean, the most wicked city in the whole area. And, and now, interestingly, he's encouraged deeply. He was beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. He was run out of Thessalonica, chased out of Berea, scoffed at Athens. And yet God sends to Paul a vision. The solution to Paul's fear, he gives him a solution. You know what the solution to Paul's fear was from God? Obey Jesus' command. Don't be afraid. Share the gospel. And to speak and not keep silent, that is to keep broadcasting the word of God. God brought reassurance to Paul that his opponents would not be successful if they tried to silence him. And look what God said. Look how God encouraged Paul. Verse 10, for I am with you. When you know who you belong to, and you know your position in him, in God, that he is with you, you're not alone ever then you can go forward in the calling. No man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. What does that mean? For I have many people in this city. All right, let me share with you. God also gave Paul insight into his work in Corinth. I have appointed a number of people in this city to believe. See, God is sovereign from the foundation of the world, God knows who will and will not be saved. God knows who will believe and which ones will not. And God is saying to Paul, Paul, remember now, this is my work. This work didn't start when you traveled into Corinth. This work started before you were born. This work started before the world was born. I chose those who would believe. And Paul, you're just sharing the gospel so they can believe. Isn't that wonderful? Does that take the pressure off? It's not about you being so good that somebody got saved. If that were the case, you would be adding to salvation. You would be working salvation. Salvation is not a work of man. It's the work of God, right? Pressure's off, folks. You got to be sharing. So this is good stuff, man. He goes further, verse 11, and he settled there a year and six months. Why? Because God didn't call Paul just to evangelize. God called Paul to disciple. Did you know that the Great Commission is more about discipleship than it is evangelism? He only speaks of evangelism in the first few words. Go and preach the gospel. The rest of it is and after they get saved, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. 
Every one of us here, if you're saved, are called to disciple. Paul spent a year and a half with the people in Corinth, building them up in the faith, teaching the scripture to them so that they would be strong enough as a church to sustain after he was gone. So God is using him to teach others. Every one of us is called to disciple other people. You say, well, I'm not even ready to disciple. I, I, I don't know that much. Okay, let me just say, what would it be like if every Christian in Vero Bible Fellowship took one person under their wing and they started meeting with that person once a week for a cup of coffee and we provide you with curriculum, basic curriculum, stuff that you know or that you can be refreshed in and you together with them walk through the curriculum understanding the foundations of the faith. What would happen at Vero Bible Fellowship one year from now if everybody here did that? If we all discipled, took time every week for a year. Think about it. Do you think the church would be edified and built up? Do you think it would trigger more people to go out and share their faith? Because discipleship is also talking about going and telling and sharing and witnessing. It's not just about sitting in your room and reading the Bible. It's not just about coming to church on Sunday. It's about living in a fallen world as salt and light. Amen? We're going to do that. We're going to give you, we're going to empower you with a curriculum that would enable you to take anybody one-on-one -on -one and sit with them and you learn and grow and they learn and grow and see what happens. See, first of all, the fellowship that enriches between the two of you. Now you have even a closer friend. Why? A close friend because you both are after the same thing. I want to grow in God. I want to know his word. I want to follow him. This church would become a mean, lean fighting machine to fend off false teaching that's all over this world. I'm not talking about Satan teaching. I'm talking about preachers, teachers who have not understood the Bible and are teaching it falsely. They're, teaching, they're misinterpreting scripture. So verse 12, Paul, but while Paul was proconsul of Achaia, now look, God sends this wonderful word by vision that don't worry about what happens, you will not be attacked, and there are people here that I've already called, and you're going to share, and they're going to get saved. So he's already been reassured. Now the very next verse, but while Galia, or Galio was proconsul of Achaia, that would be the region, that's not just the city of Corinth, that's the whole region okay? The Jews were with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the seat, judgment seat. So, so God knew what was about to happen, and he didn't want Paul to go running off scared. He said, you hold your course, you be faithful to the word, I'm doing a work, you're joining me in it. And immediately the Jews gather, they're ticked off mad at Paul. I mean, they just lost their, their, the leader of their synagogue to, to the gospel. And he says in verse 13, and they were saying this to the proconsul. They said, this man persuades men to worship God, here it is, contrary to the law. He's not teaching the law of God 
that has been passed down by the scribes and the Pharisees. He's teaching something foreign. He's teaching a different view of the law. It's contrary. This guy's a contrarian. Okay? Uh, so, I want you to turn to Matthew's gospel because I want to take the remainder of our time and I want to focus on bringing clarity where some of us probably have misinterpreted, misunderstood, or just have never been taught how the law of God fits in with the message of grace. Okay? So, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, the first of, of a whole bunch of discourses that Jesus gives in Matthew's Gospel. He just finished the Beatitudes, and now he picks up in verse 17, and Jesus is going to share something to set straight what Jewish leaders had made crooked on the law of God. Okay, so he shares these four verses, verse 17 through, eight, uh, through, 20, through 20, and he's going to answer questions that no one's asking yet, but believe me, they're wanting to ask them. It's in their minds, and Jesus is going to answer the questions. Secondly, Jesus is going to establish exactly where he's coming from in regard to the law and to righteousness, true righteousness. Thirdly, he, he connects the dots to God's message of grace and love. A lot of Christians don't understand this, and they're being taught improperly. So I want us to look at this. In just four verses, Jesus is not going to leave any stone unturned. This directly affects what the Jews said to Paul about being a, being, speaking contrary to the law. Okay, so, so Matthew 5, 17, let's read it. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does, does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless... Your righteousness, he's speaking to his disciples, believers. So this is for us too. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribe and the Pharisee, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. There is a lot of misinterpretation surrounding Jesus' words here. Uh, you, you have those like the Pharisees today. It's called the Jewish Roots Movement or the Hebrew Roots Movement. You've got Christians who are legalists. They're legalists. They're trying to call you back into legalism, where the Scripture clearly teaches that the Spirit gives life, but the law is going to bring death. If you make the law the, the righteousness unto itself, it will leave you in death. The law is to point you to Jesus, who is the life. Amen? So you have these Pharisees, you have these people today even, who, who think that Jesus, they read what Jesus just said, what we read, and they think that he's saying that he didn't come to abolish but to fulfill it, meaning he's fulfilled it. 
The law's done. He's already fulfilled it, okay? Uh, the problem is, he showed how their version of the law wasn't what God intended when he gave the law to begin with. The law was never to be something to be fulfilled on its own. The law is to be carried on by Jesus. When Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, the word fulfill means to carry out. So the law doesn't end and grace begin. Sometimes we get that. We hear that from people. The law ended and grace. No, no. The law is still there. Listen to what Jesus said again. Listen, listen to this. Uh, go back to the verse. Um, let me find it. Yeah, he said, uh, For I truly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all, all is accomplished. Until heaven and earth pass away. If you're one of these people walking around saying, law, law, no, don't think law, don't look at law, don't even, law's not even the, in the picture anymore. Has heaven and earth passed away yet? It's just that Jesus is the carry out. He's the, he's the fulfillment of the law. The law is still there. The moral law is still there. It's still in place. Ceremonial, sacrificial laws are gone. Moral law is not gone. So you've got these Pharisees who are steeped in the law, pushing their legalism like a drug for the masses. And Jesus addresses them directly. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to carry it out. Okay. Then you have people who take the view that the G Jesus abolished the law completely. They'll say things like, the law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Christ. Therefore, the Christian has nothing to do with the law. They will argue that the Bible says that we're under grace. Therefore, we should never mention the law. That's just not healthy teaching. That's not the whole picture. I'm not saying that there's not some truth in what they're saying, but they're coming to a conclusion that the Scripture doesn't give. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So, and then he says in verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So here's the first takeaway from what Jesus said. Let me give it to you. Because it's important that we hear what the real Jesus of the Bible has to say about righteousness and law. And here's what he's saying. First takeaway. Jesus just said that everything that he will teach in his earthly ministry is in absolute harmony with the entire teaching of the Old Testament. Everything that he said is in complete harmony with the Old Testament. Then verse 19, look what it says. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the second takeaway, first takeaway, Jesus is in complete harmony with the Old Testament. Second takeaway, Jesus is telling us that his teaching is in complete disharmony with the Jews of that day with the leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, 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 the priest. He is in disharmony with them. First takeaway, Jesus is in total agreement with the Old Testament. Second takeaway, he is in total disagreement with the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. If you understand these two takeaways, listen, 
then you understand why Jesus was under constant criticism, why he was being antagonized constantly throughout his ministry. You understand why the Jews came after Paul and said he's preaching a different, a contrary law. And you'll understand why today you're going to be criticized if you teach what Jesus taught. But I cannot stress to you enough how important it is that we understand the Jesus of the Bible and not fall into the trap of making Jesus what we would like him to be. That's the way of this world. The Jews in Corinth said that Paul was preaching contrary to the law. He's not falling in line with what we teach. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people out there teaching Jesus. And when you say it differently according to what Jesus said, they're going to say, you're contrary. You're teaching something else. Why, why would that happen? Why, how do we get there? How do people come to a point where they can't even recognize truth any longer and they have found their own form of Jesus? Because, because they've never really studied the real Jesus. So many opinions are given about who Jesus is and what Jesus was like. Well, I, I think Jesus... You know, I, I think Jesus just loved everybody. I, I think Jesus, he was always trying to take the high road. I think Jesus was very tolerant. He was a, peace, a peaceful person. You haven't read the Bible. The Jews in Corinth had followed the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. They had the skewed view. So when Paul comes and says Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the law that you've been taught, which you haven't been taught, you've been given a, a false picture of the law. Therefore, you can't recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. So let's learn some things about the real Jesus before we leave today, okay? If you have the view that Jesus was tolerant, he only spoke nice things and accepted everybody, then you haven't discovered the Jesus of the Bible. He didn't only speak positive things. Jesus of the Bible spoke negatively also. He wasn't con con content to respect everyone's view. He did respect every human being. Big difference. Respect the fact that that's a real human being created in the image of God. But do not, you are not having to respect other people's views. This is very important for us to hear today in this society. At times he spoke negatively about certain positions and opinions of man. Jesus was never content to only state his doctrine. He also criticized other doctrines. I'm bringing this point out because we live in a time where the church has been influenced by worldly belief systems, belief systems that go against what the Bible teaches. The world says, mind your own business. The world says a person can do or be whatever is good for them and the other person that they're doing it with. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. But because so many Christians have been inculcated, meaning indoctrinated by education by media and tv and movies many christians today have been conditioned to tolerate sinful living and false belief systems they don't want to hear anything negative only positive we've become the fluff generation we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings we want everyone to like us 
We walk around doing church in such a way that lost people would like it. That's not church. Church is made up of believers, not lost people. We're here to worship God, what Brenton did today. That would be a turnoff to a lost person coming, not all of them, but many in the world would be turned off by this. Why? Where's your, where's your lights? Where's your smoke? Where's your big band, man? I, I, when I walk into a room for church worship, man, I want to feel it. I didn't feel it here. I didn't, you had a guy with a guitar standing there. What, man, what's, what's that all about? Did you hear what he said? Sometimes it's good to just have a guitar where the focus takes us back to what really matters, what we're singing and who we're singing to. <laughs> Listen to what Joel Osteen said in a sermon. He said, quote, Listen, don't dangle people over the fires of hell. Listen, that doesn't draw people to God. Wait a second. I thought the Bible said that unless the Holy Spirit draws you, you cannot come to God. But to Joel Osteen, no, you draw people to God. He said they know what kind of life they live. You don't have to rub it in their face. They know it. Do they? Do lost people today know that they're destined for hell? That in their own works, righteousness, in their own goodness, in their own reputation in a community, that doesn't amount to a hill of beans that Satan will make kindling wood out of them. It means nothing. They don't know that. He went further. What you've got to do is talk about the goodness of God. Listen, it's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. That's a passage found in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And I hear that quoted a lot. The goodness of God brings people to repentance. Total misquote. Because chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 of Romans is all about God's wrath against depraved man. What he was saying when he said it's the goodness of God that brings people to what he was saying is, he's saying, I've held off on my judgment and my wrath for a season in order, showing you goodness, giving you time to repent. It's not that somehow you don't need to repent, not that you don't need to know that you're a sinner, that you, you're, you're lost. That's why he's holding off, to give you time to get there. But if you don't get there, God will bring judgment on this earth. So you got, you got him saying, listen, it's the goodness of God that brings peace. Does that sound like Jesus of the Bible? And listen again what Jesus said in verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What's interesting is the fact that the scribes and Pharisees were the intellectual, moral leaders of Israel. So Jesus isn't criticizing some weird little subgroup that meets down the street from the temple. He's exposing the sinful hearts behind the most respected, authoritative leaders in Israel. 
So no, Jesus would not agree with the statement, let's just focus on the things we agree on and not talk about the things that separate us. Political correctness, gender fluidity, woke culture, all that nonsense, it is pervading this society and this world. And all of this has infiltrated the church. Rather than the church being salt and light, we've succumbed to tolerating everything that is evil. Instead of contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, we're only interested in fertilizing the weeds that show up on Sunday. There are false teachers all around us, and we have a responsibility not only to voice the truth, but call out error so that sheep aren't led away and eaten by wolves. How else will sheep know that it's a wolf? In sheep's clothing, unless the shepherd pays close attention and blows the whistle on the wolf. This, this is the way of Jesus. This is the Jesus of the Bible. So when they're coming after Paul and they're saying, he's preaching a different law, what they should have been saying was, he's preaching the real law. We don't want the real law. We want a law that we can make up on our own, that we can live, that we're, that we're happy with. That was the hang-up. That's why they're coming after Paul. We're done. Let me just give you verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. In other words, you're trying to draw this proconsul, a Roman, a Gentile, he's saying you're trying to draw me into your view of the law. I don't know your view of the law, and I don't really care to know. And don't come to me trying to get me to take action against a man who sees your law a little differently. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. So before Paul could defend himself, God sent Galileo, a Gentile, who defended him. That's, that's awesome. God does that sometimes. Verse 17, and they all took hold of Sosthenes. Interesting. Try to say that five times quickly. Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. I thought Crispus was. Not anymore. He's saved. They got rid of him, and now Sosthenes is the ruler. And look what the Gentiles did when they heard the Jews speak against Paul in front of their proconsul. And he said, I'm not going to have any part of this. You go deal with it yourself. They took the leader of the Jews, Sosthenes, who probably was the one who was speaking against Paul. And the Gentiles, not the Christians, the Gentiles grabbed hold of him, look at this, and, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. So God took care of the Jews that came after Paul. That vision he gave, he meant it. When God says something, you can count it. Take it to the bank, Amen. And he said, don't fear, I am with you. For every one of you here today, God will watch over you. God will provide for you. So now we come to the end of Paul's second missionary journey, and we'll pick up that study next week, okay? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that the righteousness that we possess today as believers is not some human view of good things that we do. It's not measuring ourselves against other people. It's not talking about all the good things we've accomplished. <laughs> Our measurement of righteousness 
if we were as good as the Pharisees, which put on such a big act, and they were the keepers of the law. They were as righteous as a human being can be in himself. And Jesus said, if you're like that, if that's your righteousness, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you're not looking for us to be better. You're not looking for us to do good things for the sake of, righteous, of our own righteousness. You are looking for us to surrender as sinners who are incapable of saving ourselves. Who no longer are fighting, trying to make life good. And you're asking us to place the faith that you gave us to believe in Jesus. Where Jesus went to the cross, took on our sins, and he died. Because, Father, you poured out your wrath and judgment upon him and put him to death. And now, through his resurrection, we have life. Because no longer do you see our ugly righteousness, which is nothing more than filthy rags in your sight. Now you see, those of us who believe, you see Jesus' righteousness all over us. <laughs> Thank you, Father. You don't have to try to walk. We don't, first of all, we don't have to be afraid of the law. We don't have to stop speaking about the law. The law, Jesus is, is carrying out the law. Until heaven and earth pass away, it's going to be that way. But we don't fear the law because we've been set free by Jesus in his righteousness. Because he kept the law perfectly. So thank you, Lord. Thank you. Let that just really settle in our spirits. Let that become a reflective thought each day this week. And may it just propel us to get on with the focus of salt and light. May we be disciples. Lord, begin speaking to us as we pray about a particular person that you would want us to walk alongside, to start meeting with for fellowship, but also to start talking about God and Christ and the Spirit and, and talking about the things, the foundations of the faith. Oh, Lord, let this be a year coming into a good year of discipleship as we also share our faith with others. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Love each and every one of you. Good to see you. Take time to share in fellowship today. Don't just walk out. We're more than just a church service. We're a fellowship. So do it. Enjoy it. God bless you.